Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. Well, we have been in a series and we've been talking about the preeminence of Christ's kingdom. Um, today, as a, a subtopic, we're going to talk about transitioning into apostolic Christianity. You've heard us say over the last few weeks, over and over and over again, that the Almighty God is bringing us back to his original blueprint and purpose. It really has been the word of the Lord that we have been releasing uh, throughout the tenure of our ministry, believing that the Lord had ordered a season of reformation in the body of Christ and for the people of God. And so I believe and we believe that this is what the Lord is doing. And so it's going to require us to have a tremendous paradigm shift. It means that the way that we have thought, the way that we have believed, the way that we have functioned uh, was in dire need of significant change. And so in honor of that, we're going to minister this word today about transitioning into apostolic Christianity. I want to say at the onset of the message, according to 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, uh, the scripture says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, that the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And so when we begin to think about uh, the plethora of ministry opportunities and experiences that we're watching on everyone's live and everybody's feed, it's interesting to note that we are not uh, inclusive or, or exclusive one of another, but that we literally need every single part of the body to do its job. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. In other words, it means that the preacher that God has anointed to preach is a part of how your experience of maturity into Christ's likeness is going to be exacted. Uh, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, that if our gospel is hid, it is only hid to those who are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So people who don't recognize and don't see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of a global pandemic, the scripture says the reason why they can't see it, the reason why they don't understand our gospel, the reason why uh, th there's rhetoric and conversations about how uh, there's no way that there's a God because a loving God would never allow this kind of thing to happen in the earth. The people that are uh, purporting those sentiments are people that our gospel is hidden from. And we have to stand in the gap and we have to pray that the blinders would be removed from their eyes so that they can see. Romans 10, 14 uh, through 18 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And so as we are coming back into order, as we are coming back into alignment, there are some things that we have got to put in perspective and we've got to put in place. One of the scariest things that could ever happen to us in a global pandemic is for the wrong voice to click on that live button and get an audience and fill the earth with a bunch of nonsense. 
And we have seen exactly that throughout this pandemic. We have seen people that are unauthorized voices. We have seen people that are not anointed. We have seen people that are not called of God. We have seen people that have not stood in the counsel of God, listening, uh, 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 garnering audiences of people who listen to what they have to say. The scripture makes it clear. How can they call on him if they've never believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they've not heard of him? And how can they actually hear without a preacher? And how can the preacher preach unless he be sent? So in other words, if you have not been apostolos, if you have not been commissioned, if you have not been sent by God, then whatever you say is not going to culminate in people hearing, believing, and calling on the Lord. And so we have to make the calling and election sure. We have to scrutinize who it is that we're listening to. We have to pay attention to who and what we are flocking to, because if the ultimate objective is to be in the position that God has called you to be in, you've got to follow his blueprint and you've got to follow his pattern and you've got to follow the ones that he has sent for that purpose. He's bringing everything back. Ephesians 4 Verse seven, let's start there. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given. So that means that like the Bible says that we have all been given a measure or the measure of faith. It means that there is also a measure of grace. And it says that the grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it means that person A and person B may have different uh, levels of grace or they have different measures of grace that are contingent on the measurement of the gift of Christ. Why am I bringing that out? Because it's important for us to recognize that as it pertains to the love of God, as it pertains to the blessings of God, as it pertains um, to the dealings of God, we are all on equal footing. We are all on the same level. We are all in the same place. But as it pertains to the graces of God and as it pertains specifically to the grace of God upon our life uh, in correlation to the gifts of God, there are varying levels. I'm saying this because you can't be jealous or intimidated because somebody's grace is different than yours. You can't be upset. You can't have a rejection complex. You can't have an inferiority complex because you turned on TV or saw someone's ministry and it looked like they were greater than you or more anointed than you. The Bible says very clearly that no man can receive anything that he did not first receive from the father. Sometimes you have to accept what God has given you, but you also have to accept what he has not given you. And I'll show you why that's important in a minute. It says when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. So he took the entire system of captivity and brought it into his own captivity. And it says, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, the term for fill all things is a Greek word, pleru, which means to bring everything into full consummation. What are you talking about, crazy preacher, on this live? I'm prophesying and I'm preaching and bringing out of the scripture the truth that the gifts and the callings of God, the graces of God, and the measure, uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift, are not just so that you can have a ministry. It's not just so you can have a platform. It's not just so that you can have a following, but the direct result of the graces and the gifts of God and manifestation are all connected to his dominion. 
It is all connected to the dominion of Christ that has to be exacted in the earth. Somebody say amen. Verse 11 says, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, not just so the leader can do the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That means to build it up. So, uh, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, mature playroom, that he may fill all things, that we may come to a place of maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can I please interject here, body of Christ, as I just got a few more minutes left, that the purpose of ministry, the purpose of the gathering of the church, the purpose of the saints coming together is not just for us to have a spiritual uh, social club. It's not about a spiritual social party. Can I, I'm going to go a little bit further and this might step on your toes or, or make you upset. And it's not just so that we can come together and worship because those that worship God have to worship him in spirit and in truth. That means you have to have a worshipful lifestyle before the song set ever gets sang. It's, it's, it's not just so that we can come together for the, the point or, or for the, the place of worship because we're worshiping in our hearts. We're worshiping, uh, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord all the time. But why is it that we come together? It's so we can grow up into the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, to the knowledge of the Son of God. And all across the board, if we just look at it, there are some places where that knowledge of the Son of God is absolutely absent. We have our knowledge. We know about ourselves. We know about our purpose. We know about our destiny. We know about our future. But what about God's purpose? What about God's destiny? What about God's future? What about God's plan? And so we have seen clearly in a global pandemic how the Lord can interrupt your entire plan to interject his where you have to become consumed with thus saith the Lord. You have to become consumed with his mind. Why? Because it's really where we should have been all along. Verse 14 says that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let me interject this. He's not talking about worldly people. He's talking about church people. He's talking about the cunning craftiness and deceitfulness and the plotting of people that have seducive and enticing doctrines that are pulling the people away from God's process of maturation into the headship of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that in our generation that we are confronting this same very thing where there are people that will get up here and they'll write books and they'll do all kinds of things to get your money with no thought about where your soul is going to end up. No thought about whether or not the purposes and the promises of God in your life are being fulfilled. He says it's cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But instead of that, we ought to speak the truth in love. And may we grow up in all things. Somebody say all things. Grow up in all things into the head, into him who is the head, Christ. We've been talking about the preeminence of the kingdom of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ in all of this? He is the headship that we are all supposed to be growing up into. That means his thought processes. It means his perspectives. It means his governance. It means his guidance. It means his lordship in all things. Somebody say all things in all 
things. That means that he has to be Lord over more than your church attendance. He has to be Lord over more than your ministry segment. He has to be Lord of all. And verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, there's our unity again, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we're dealing with the grace, we're dealing with the measure, we're dealing with what Jesus Christ actually did when he first descended into the depths of the earth and then ascended into the heights of the heaven. His immediate response, the very second course of action was to distribute ministry, grace, and gift. Why did he do it? He did it for the establishment of his dominion. 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 Hebrews 2 and 8 says this. Now we're talking about dominion. It says you have put all things in subjection under his feet. So Jesus Christ has the name that is above every name. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee must bow. Every system must bow. Every person must bow. Everybody has to bow and acknowledge the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But watch this. It says you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. That's President Trump, that's our government, that's North Korea, that's Iraq, that's Saudi Arabia, that's all the African continents, that's the United Kingdom. Every single thing is placed in subjection under Jesus Christ. But the scripture goes on to say something interesting. It says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. So positionally, Everything is under Jesus Christ. Positionally, everything is under his sovereignty. Everything is under his domain. Everything is under his kingship and his rulership. But at the same token, the scripture says, but yet we don't see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now in Hebrews, the Greek word for angels, there is angelos, which literally means angels or messengers, but it is quoting a text from Psalms, the eighth, uh, the eighth division of Psalm, where it says you have made him a little bit lower, not of the angels. It's translated angels in Psalms eight, but the Hebrew word there is Elohim. You've made him a little bit lower than God. You've made man a little bit lower than deity and divinity. So what is this saying to us? It says to us that there is a dominion, that there is a subjugation, that there is a subjection of all things to Christ that is both positionally happening now, but it is also a futuristic event that has not occurred yet. Why hasn't it occurred yet? Let's go back to Ephesians 4, because the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher has a job to do to grow the church up into the headship of Jesus Christ to make us come to the unity of the faith, to make us no longer be immature children that are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. When we get to the place that the ministry graces and gifts are functioning at full capacity, the kingdom will see a maximum output and we will see the objective that Christ intended for the church and for these graces to function. It's going to be you growing up. It's going to be you not being a babe. It's going to be you not sucking on milk. It's going to be you digesting the meat of the word and then getting deep and eating angel food, getting into spiritual manna. It's going to be you processing your life and handling your life through the paradigm and the mind of Christ. It's going to be you yielding to the 
effectual working of the mighty power of God that is in your life. And somebody shout hallelujah. So we're talking about, as I'm winding down, <clears throat> the preeminence of the kingdom of Christ. So we've established that everything uh, <clears throat> is being brought into the place of consummate perfection, that Christ may fill all things. He's going to fill all things in you and through you, FYI. Uh, so he's waiting on you. Creation is waiting on you. It's groaning, waiting on you. Somebody say amen. So the subjugation that we're talking about is the mandate of the new creation, ecclesia, or the body of Christ. The dominion that has to be manifested in and through you, the subjection of all things has to be manifested through you. The governance of God has to be realized through you. So when we begin to think about the kingdom of God and we begin to think about the preeminence of Christ's kingdom, here are some things that you ought to consider. Number one, kingdom protocols bring us into an awareness of blueprints, of strategies, of systems, of laws, of regulations, of ordinances, of authorities, of orders, of legalities, of functions, of rights and privileges, of kingship and sovereignty. The Almighty's eternal kingdom overlaps and interfaces with our finite temporal world and existence only because we are eternal beings and the kingdom of God is placed on the inside of us. Jesus Christ said something profound. He said, the kingdom is not coming with observation. They're not gonna be able to say, there it is over there. There it is on that street. He said, but the kingdom of God is within you. So it means that that realm of God's sovereignty, that realm of dominion, I hope somebody's hearing this, that realm of God's governance over creation lives in your belly. It is in your spirit. It is in your being. And this is why one of the biggest fights that you will ever have as a new creation believer will be the enemy of your soul that tries to rob you of the truth and the reality of that identity. He will have you walking around forgetting that you have been made brand new again. He'll have you forgetting getting that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus and that old things have passed away. He will have you forgetting that the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out on the mercy seat to atone for your sins and the weaknesses in your family and in your lineage. He will make you forget that the blood of Jesus was shed so that you could be healed, so that you could be delivered. He will have you running around for decades of your life failing to see the fullness of who Christ is in you and who you are in him. Somebody say, it's in me. As a matter of fact, somebody talk back to me. Type, type in the comments, say, it's in me. Say, the kingdom is in me. Somebody shout hallelujah. The ecclesia was established to superimpose the kingdom and the system and the order of God upon the earth and upon every failing system. So what is the solution? to the things that we are facing in our nation? What is the solution to the things that we are facing in our world? There are all types of crises that we were already confronting before we were hit with a global pandemic. We were dealing with uh, social injustices. We were dealing with uh, systematic and systemic racism. We were dealing with um, uh, abortions and people not knowing uh, the right decisions to make with things that pertain to that. We were dealing with perversions. We were dealing with economic crises. We were dealing with hunger and homelessness. Well, can I tell you that the solution is not necessarily just legislation from a governmental official or a politician? 
The solution is the kingdom of God in you. The solution is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does that mean? It means for every failing system, the kingdom of God has an established protocol that is meant to be superimposed upon that failing system. You want to deal with poverty? Then we have to deal with God's mind concerning economy. Somebody shout hallelujah. You want to deal with deliverance? Then we got to deal with God's mind concerning the laws of how we ought to live so that we are not ever ensnared. Because Romans 6 tells us that whoever you present your body to, you become a slave, whether it's an instrument of unrighteousness or righteousness. So you want to deal with your need for deliverance? We'll change the law that you follow. I can't get help. And you won't need to roll around on the altar every time you come to church. Shift laws. Follow the law of God and you will walk in the perfect law of liberty. So for every malady that we have had to face, the kingdom of God has already established the solution. The Bible says this, and I'm winding now, Acts 2.42. We're going back to or transitioning into apostolic Christianity, first century Christianity. What did they believe? What did they practice? How were they so profoundly powerful? How was it that they could speak to heads of state and heads of nations and cause them to be gripped with fear and terror at the proclamation of the word of the Lord? Well, Acts 2.42 says this, and they continue steadfastly. Somebody say steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What is doctrine or what is indoctrination? It is the process of teaching a person or group to, ex to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Pause, because that just struck fear and terror in somebody's heart. You mean to tell me that God wants me to accept the truth and the reality of his word without a criticism, without my two cents, without my doubt and my fear and my disbelief, absolutely. He wants you to believe that he is upholding all things by the word of his power. He wants you to believe according to your faith that we believe that it was by the word of God that the worlds were framed. He wants us to accept un critically his truth now that's hard because we live in a generation that says everybody has their own truth we live in a generation that exalts their personal version of truth over the truth of the lord jesus christ well jesus said i am the way the truth and the life there is no truth outside of jesus christ he is the apex and the epitome of truth he is truth he gave truth truth for truth to be truth He's the truth. And so that means anything outside of Christ is erroneous and not true. And that sounds biased and bigoted. But guess what? This is the death walk that we've been called to walk. This is why in first century Christianity, there were martyrs because they had to be uncompromising and unflinching in their faith and in their belief. Then fear came upon every soul. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles indoctrination and in fellowship. And in the breaking of bread, which we understand to be the communion meal and in prayer. And the result was fear gripped every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Can you imagine a move of God that changes everybody's tax bracket? Can you imagine the kind of epicenter of revival that we would see when the glory of God is so uh, tangible 
that it impacts how your economy functions, where you have nothing missing, you have nothing broken, you have nothing lacking. Well, the scripture is, is clear. They had all things in common. Nobody lacked. Nobody had a need. Everybody flourished. What was the backdrop? It was the indoctrination of God's truth. It was the breaking of bread. It was partaking of the Holy Communion. It was fellowship. It was prayer, not just concerts, not just uh, the aggrandizement of flesh and proclivity, but it was pushing into a dimension in God. It says this, uh, 46, now continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Somebody said continuing daily, one accord in the temple. Y'all complain about going to church twice a week. They went every day. Push past that. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food in gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. He added to what? The church. He added to what? The church. We need to get outside of the four walls of the church. Okay. But then once you get those souls outside of those four walls, God's order is that he adds them back to the church. Why? Because the ecclesia is the place where they're going to be taught and matured and equipped to come up into the headship of Christ. Your winning their soul on the corner does not facilitate that process of God. It's like pushing a baby out and leaving the baby on the labor table. It's like being in labor and delivery and they've taken the baby out and cut the umbilical cord and they sit the baby down and then everybody gets up and walks out of the room. The baby has to be put in an environment that is conducive to all of the things that that baby is sensitive to. Certain lights, certain protective measures to make sure that there's no bacterial or viral infections. Y'all not going to hear me. Somebody shout amen. amen. All right. Let's go down. I'm going to go down and I'm going to stop. Because I think people are choking already. When we deal with coming into transitioning into apostolic Christianity, we're apostolic Christians. And apostolic doesn't mean denominational. I'm not talking about baptism formula. I'm not talking about particular doctrine. I'm talking about functioning under the mantle and the mandate that Jesus Christ released into the earth when he incepted the church. The governance, the lordship, the sovereignty of the most high God ruling over his ecclesia and the nation of Jesus Christ that when you are born again of the spirit of God, you have been born into. The Bible says in Hebrews three and one that Jesus Christ came as the apostle and the high priest of our confession, other versions say profession. He came as the apostle and the high priest, came as the apostle and the high priest. He didn't only come as a savior. An apostle is a messenger sent on an ambassage from ascending principal who has a responsibility to culturize the place that he is sent to with the culture and the kingdom and the societal norms of the one who sent him. That's the job of apostleship, to bring the culture of their sending principle into the place that they have been dispatched to. That's their message. That's their function. That's their, that's their praxis. 
So Jesus Christ came, yes, to save our souls, but he was already the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So his work was already done. It just had to be played out in time. But the sacrifice was already complete. But he was sent into the earth as an apostle who embodied the kingdom and the government of the most high God. And he brought it into the earth's sphere and began to interject that kingdom into the earth systems. He took 12 men and indoctrinated them from A to Z with the principles of his father's kingdom so that when he would return back to the father, they would become the ambassadors and the diplomats of heaven's eternal government and system in the earth. Can I present to you that apostleship today is perpetuating the same thing? We're completing the same work. We're doing the same function and assignment. Well, why is it necessary? Because another generation has been born and they haven't heard him. Back to our other scripture. They can't call on them if they've not heard about them. They can't believe in them. And they can't do any of that without a preacher sent to them. There has to be a message. There has to be a messenger. There has to be the insemination of the seed of the word of the kingdom. So that it can grow up in you and producing you God's intention. Watch this. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If he's in Christ, the preeminence of Christ's kingdom, our position in that kingdom is that we are inside of Jesus Christ, that we are in him. Somebody say, I'm in him. Old things have passed away, old systems, old paradigms, old realities, old hangups passed away. All things have become new. Say that out of your mouth. All things have become new. All things have become new. First Peter 2 and 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The word for nation there is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity from. It's a multitude of individuals of the same genus or nature. I know that we are really proud of our ethnicity, but when you're born again, your ethnicity changes. You have to represent your new ethnicity as much as you are proud of your natural lineage and ethnicity, because God literally in Christ Jesus changed your ethnos. He brought you into a new ethnos, a nation of human divines that have the image of Jesus Christ in them. I know this might be stretching to some people, but you are the Christ in the earth. I keep saying that. He created a new nation of people. Scripture talks about Jesus Christ being the firstborn in Hebrews among many brethren. Well, how could we say Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren and he didn't materialize in the earth in flesh until thousands of years after creation was established? Because in Christ, he created a new species of being. So when you're born again, you are engrafted, you are born, you are reproduced of a completely different kind, of the God kind, of the God class. You have the DNA of the father, which means you have his dominion. Let me keep going. It says his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Say, I am a part of the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Let me wrap it all up. So we're dealing with the kingdom of Christ. We're dealing with his supremacy, the preeminence of his kingdom, and how his kingdom literally is superior to anything that exists. There is nothing in creation that trumps the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. 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 His kingdom is first, foremost, and preeminent in all things. Everything is subjected to him, but the task of that dominion being in manifestation is contingent on you as his actual body. Growing up into his headship, growing up into his governance, and then recognizing that you have the assignment of dominion. I got to break a mindset off of the church that's just surviving. You go to church week after week and hear a message just to hear something to help you get through the next week. How in the world are we going to stop the travail of creation and you are barely holding on yourself? It's an insult to the effective working of the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit who hovered over the face of the deep in the creation account dwells in the same Holy Spirit is sitting there right there in your heart, teaching and instructing you in all things. So if you have God's agent of creation in you, then what's the excuse for you just barely holding on? We got to change the paradigm in the hard reset. We've got to think with a different thought. We have to see through a different lens. We have to recognize that these scriptures are not cliche, but it's a living, breathing, tangible word. Because the Lord Jesus said that the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It's spirit. That means that it's, it's immaterial, but it has substance. It says that they are life, which means that the erosion of the processes of death stops when the word of God is in manifestation. So how's the word going to manifest? Well, my Bible doesn't get up and read itself. My Bible doesn't get up and, and, and talk to itself. It has to be a word that's buried in my heart that I decree and I declare that causes the manifestation of the word to take place. Jesus sent his word in here. The word is alive. It's sharp. It's quick. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a living, breathing word. And it's in you. So your dominion, the dominion of Christ, the subjugation of all things, you have a part to play, beloved. And I know some of us might feel like we got a lot of work to do, and we do, because we haven't taught the body of Christ this. We've taught you to hold on to every word of your pastor. We taught you to come to your pastor for all of your needs. We taught you that your pastor is the end all for everything. We did not allow you to think. We didn't allow you to pray. We didn't allow you to hear from God. We didn't even put any kind of responsibility on you to work out your own soul salvation. Y'all come to church to get your soul salvation worked out. You don't work it out on your own because you haven't been taught with the right mindset of maturity that enables you to work it out. How do you process your life understanding that God's dominion is in you and through you? It's in you and through you. Not to minimize human suffering. We go through things. We deal with things. But the reality is 
that you got to do more than hold on, beloved. You've got to take over. You got to take over. You got to have a hostile takeover mindset. Kingdom suffers violence. The violent take it by force. So when we're dealing with apostolic Christianity, here we go and I'm going to be done. Number one, we're chiefly concerned with the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to hear us. You're not going to hear us that have been born again by the spirit of God that understand our commission and our role in the earth in this generation as apostolic Christians. You're not going to hear us talking junk about Jesus Christ. You're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear us slamming his church. You're not going to hear us defaming his name. You're going to see us protecting and securing the integrity of our king. You're going to see us really concerned about how he is represented in the world. So we're concerned about the king and the kingdom. We're concerned about the sovereignty of our God. It's important to us to know that our God is in complete control. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what man's uh, machinations have brought into being things that our sovereign God has had to allow because he has given us the freedom of choice. He's given us what our hearts have gone after. I'll stop with that. But we're concerned about the sovereignty of our king. It's important to us to know that he's the Lord. We're concerned about gods and nations and bringing our nation. This is a stretch for y'all. Bringing our nation and his people back to the God who actually birthed them. It's hard to bring a nation of people back to our God when there's so much rhetoric that says that our God is not the true and living God. So much rhetoric that says that white slave owners use Christianity just to oppress black people. And there's a generation of black people that eating that that are completely eating that up. We're in trouble. We're in trouble because we have to, in our generation as apostolic Christians, we've got to bring our nation back to the most high God. We're concerned about God's eternal citizens and the nation of Christ, the, the ethnos of Christ, the nation, the people that have his genus, his gene, his DNA. We're concerned about his eternal ecclesia. Not the thing that we call the church because we got a name in a steeple in some pews in an in in organ. But the legislative assembly that has been called out of the kingdom and the system of Satan and the world and darkness and have been infused with his light and his life and his purpose and his laws and his government and his protocols and his regulations filled the statutes written upon our hearts so that we could live by them and manifest him in the earth. That's our concern. And the leadership of the move of God that we're in now, because God is putting apostles and prophets back in their God-ordained place. And we're not going to be regulated by religious systems. We're not going to be regulated by the controlling uh, systems of witchcraft and, and, and all kinds of things that crept into the church to get God out of the church. Because, you know, a lot of people have, have opted for a godless church because it's easier to manage. It's easier to do church your way when God's not present. So we pushed out the power offices. We pushed out the governing offices. We pushed out foundational offices so that we were only left with what we could contrive. So in a hard reset, God is pushing us right back into place, right back into position. 
And I'm telling you that that's what's going to thrive because the days ahead, the days ahead are not going to be filled with peace. The days ahead are going to be filled with turbulence and turmoil. The days ahead are going to be filled with persecution for the nation of Jesus Christ. The days ahead are going to be filled with all kinds of legal issues and things coming against the church and churches being shut down. The churches are being shut down right now because they can't survive the pandemic. That's persecution. What do you do when you've been in a church for 20 years and you've paid time for 20 years and you've sat there for 20 years and then when this is all over, you have no place to be? What do you do? How do you pick up? Where do you go? There's a lot of people that are going to be in that situation. The days ahead are bleak in a lot of ways. But we're going to see the true church rise. And God is going to back it up. He's going to back up the word that's preached with signs and wonders following. You're going to see apostles and prophets, not just people masquerading as bishops with clergy investment attire, vestments. Ambassadors of the Godhead diplomats of his eternal government, deputies of God's ordinances. You're going to see them rise and they're going to preach and they're going to teach and they're going to release the dominion of God in the earth. He's putting it back in order. So apostles are concerned with guarding what's been entrusted to the nation of Christ, the ethnos, the genus, those that have his genus, guarding the ecclesia, governing the kingdom and guiding the generation with the truth of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is preeminent. It is not subjected to any other kingdom. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is completely in charge. He bows to no one. He has the name that is above every name and he ascended the scripture says higher than the heavens. If there was even a location higher than the heavens, but he ascended higher than the heavens that he might fill all things, bring all things into consummate perfection. Which side of that are you on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for a word that's going to push us into a place of maturity. Father, I pray that the pastors that sneak on this live, that they get challenged. I, I, I pray that they get challenged. I pray that those that have entitled themselves, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that, that you have not sent. I pray that this word would prick them in their heart. I pray that it makes them question every single thing about what they believed. I pray that the sword of your truth be the measuring rod for their life and their ministry in this present season and in the season to come. Because it is time for us to make our calling and our election sure because the lives of your ethnos, your nation is in the balance. And we don't have time for your precious possession to be raked over anymore. We don't have time for the, the, the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting of preachers raping and molesting your people of their resources. We don't have time. We're in a generation that needs to see you, that needs to know you, and needs to experience your fullness. And so I pray that the sword of your truth would cut asunder every web, the tapestry of every maneuver from the kingdom of darkness that has ensnared and blinded and bound your people. Let them be freed by the sword of your truth, I pray. 
Lord Jesus, you are preeminent in all things and we acknowledge your sovereignty and your lordship and your governance. We are aligned with you and we shift everything in our jurisdiction and under our dominion and under our mandate into that alignment. We thank you for your atoning blood and we pray your protection and your covering upon your people. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you and we call it done. If you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the ethnos, the nation of Jesus Christ, it is, it, is, uh, it is incumbent upon you to repent of your sin, to renounce your sin, to leave the kingdom of darkness, to walk completely out of the kingdom of darkness and to come into the kingdom of light, to renounce your sin, to accept the lordship and the governance of Jesus Christ. If that's you, acknowledge your sin. I'm not even going to give you the words to pray. Acknowledge your sin. You know what you've done. You know who you've been. Admit it. The word of God declares that if we just confess our sins, that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us first and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. He's faithful. That means he'll, he'll constantly do it. And it's righteous. It's, it's, it's a balanced scale that if you own up to what you've done, our legal system is not even that merciful. If you just own up to what you've done, he wipes the slate clean. You confess your sins, you call upon the name of the Lord, and you turn away from your sin. You've got to repent. You've got to reconfigure your mind. You've got to reconfigure your life. And then, like Jesus taught, you have to bear fruits worthy of repentance. We don't preach that enough at altar calls. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. Your sorry has to show up in evidential fruit. We have to be able to look at your tree and see the fruit of your repentance. Oh, it's just between me and God. Not if I'm supposed to look at your fruit. No, I'm supposed to see your fruit of repentance. And once you've done that, you will have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are indeed a son and a daughter of God. We have Holy Communion today. So everybody get your elements. I hope y'all enjoyed that. But it wasn't for uh, enjoyment factor. But I hope you got something out of it. Let's look at this. Holy Communion is one of the sacraments of the church. And it is necessary for us to partake of the sacrament of communion by law to be considered an official church. You have to have communion, you have to have baptism. And we believe that communion is more than a symbol. It is more than a ritual, okay? For the new creation ecclesia, this is a covenantal meal that causes eternity and our worlds to intersect, okay? When Abram saw Melchizedek, Melchizedek pulled out the bread and the wine. Now, whatever, whoever you think he is, a theophany, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. And he took out the bread and the wine and had a covenantal communion meal. Jesus, before he left the planet and charged his apostles, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you show my death, you proclaim my death, you proclaim the sacrifice, the sacrifice that unseats Satan and all of his power. He said, you're, you're, you're proclaiming that until I return. So when we do this, this is a spiritual negotiation between the almighty God and us. Let me give you the scripture. It's in John 
the sixth chapter, as if following Jesus wasn't hard enough, he's going to preach a message that really makes everybody feel like they can't follow him. He says this. Uh, let's start at verse 51, John 6, 51. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Same thing he said to the apostles. This is my body. It was given for you. Take and eat it. He says, the bread that I give, it is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Right? So communion commemorates the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to save the world. He gave his life. That's what this commemorates. The Jews quarreled amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, he took it a step further. You're mad that I'm saying I'm the bread of life. He says, now, if you don't eat my flesh and don't drink my blood, you have no life force in you. We know from Leviticus that the life is in the blood, which is right under the law. They could not eat things with blood because it was an insult to the blood of Jesus that had already been shed at the beginning of the world by the lamb. It was an insult. It was a disrespect, a disgrace to the blood because the life of God is in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. He could not be born of Joseph because then Joseph's seed would have been a contributing factor to his blood. Jesus's blood had to stay intact from the father in order to be the atonement. Y'all catch that next week. He said, and I will raise him up. He said, well, whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father, living, there's that word again, the life of God is in the blood. As the living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, this is symbolic, but we believe that when you pray over it, that the symbol becomes a tangible spiritual reality. We've consecrated this. These communions that we're using have been in our church, on our altar. We've consecrated it several times during our communion service, but I'll pray over yours. Father, we pray over the elements that they're using, that they become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, so that upon receiving it, everything that you just declared in this scripture becomes a reality in their lives. Jesus, we eat your flesh, we drink your blood to abide in you and for you to abide in us, that the very life force of God would enter into our physical beings. I pray that through the application of the blood of Jesus, that you would heal sicknesses and diseases. Right now on this live, in this virtual worship, during this communion, let somebody's body be healed. Let somebody's asthma be healed. Let somebody's high blood pressure be healed. Let somebody that's having an issue with kidneys and on dialysis, let the healing virtue that is in the blood of Jesus touch their body now and heal them. Let the fire of the Holy Ghost come upon them to heal them because we abide in you and your life is in the blood. We plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ now for healing. Let heart disease be healed. Somebody's heart condition, let it be healed now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, you don't need to wait for me to call you out by a word of knowledge. You can receive healing for whatever your ailment is. 
somebody's foot condition is being healed. I don't know exactly what it is. It, it looks like there's some kind of um, pain when you stand, when you walk. It could be nerve related, but I'm not completely sure. But I just know that it's it's a tremendous pain in the foot walking and moving around on it. You can receive healing right now. Just receive it by faith. It's there because the blood of Jesus is there. Father, we thank you for the healing power. Let's partake together in Jesus' name. Pastor Isaiah, can you just a little quick worship segment, uh, oh, song for communion? Just real quick. Thank you. As we partake. Just for me. Just for me. Jesus came and did it just Just for me, just for me, Jesus came and did it just for me. Just for us. Hallelujah. He did it just for us. Y'all receive that? Say, I receive. Shall I receive? Father, we thank you for this communion. We thank you for this service. We thank you for worship, prayer, praise, the proclamation of your word. Thank you all for connecting to our live. We want you to um, like this, share this. We're in a social media age, so it's important to us that we get our message of the kingdom out because uh, it takes the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom being preached before the end can come. And so we want to see the Lord Jesus come back. Somebody say amen. Send this out. Uh, like our YouTube page, RC Furlough Global. We're trying to get over a certain threshold so that we can stream to our YouTube users. And we want you to stay connected, stay connected to us, be planted in a good place so that you can grow, you can mature, and you can be exactly who God has called you to be. We thank you all. We appreciate you so much for being with us. And we want you to have a blessed week. We'll see you here Wednesday again at 7 p.m. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again, we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.